I probably will. I just prayed this, but I probably will get emotional because uh, because I have a good dad, and uh, he's he's uh, he's done a lot of good things, uh, but he's also failed in many ways, and so just like I have to my own kids. Uh, but as I as I begin to think about the Father's love for me and for the for the entire world, I become overwhelmed with emotion. So I'm just preparing you for that, so that when you see me cry or you hear me get, get emotional, I'm going to ask you to join me in that. Okay, I'm just um, just so you know where I am. Okay, First uh, John chapter three verse one is a simple little verse here that's full of um, full of wonderful things. Things, uh, particularly, like I said earlier, the doctrine of adoption. Uh, may, mainly what I'm saying by that is the study of or what we can understand that God has done for us and that he has adopted us as sons and daughters into his family through his son Jesus. And so John writes this letter to, uh, to those followers and he, he begins chapter 3 basically by saying, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. And so we have to come to a realization this morning that um, if you are in Christ, that if you've confessed Christ as Lord and Savior, and He has saved you, He has then adopted you into His family, and we have to take a moment and pause and see this. So the beginning of the verse, John writes this Greek word, he writes this word, see. And it literally means to stop or to pause and to look actually, to, to actually look at what's happening or what has happened. We often don't do that. I know that when we're, we, we've used this analogy before, but when we're driving and we have so many things, so many visual things that are happening around us, we're focused on what's ahead of us. And then somebody in the back seat says something like, hey, did you see that antelope? Did you see those twin baby antelopes? Or did you see this? Or did you see that car almost hit us? And as the driver, you're so focused on what's in front of you, you've neglected to look at the things around you. And so at some point, you have to slow down. I know we've talked about that a number of times as, as we're walking with Christ. We have to slow down so that our vision is not blurred so much. And we have to stop and look at uh, look at reality, look at what has happened to us or what is happening to us. And so John writes this. He says, I want you to stop, I want you to pause, and I want you to see what has happened, what the Father has done for us. And then he, particularly, he, he points us to what kind of love or how great this love is that's from the Father. So we look at, uh, John says, stop and look at how great are this kind of love that the Father has for us. And then here again, we have this interesting Greek word, this word that's, uh, that's pronounced patapos, and it means from what country did this come from? Like this is not normal life. See how great this love is from the Father. See what kind of love this is from the Father. It's not something that we that we're that we're used to, that we've come accustomed to. Instead, it must be from a foreign country. It's something that we're not normally normally seeing. It's not a part of everyday normal life. So you have to come to realization as followers of Jesus, if you are one, if you if you're what we call a saint or, or a saved person, uh, you have to come to a realization that the love that the, the Father has from you does not come from normal life. It's not from our country. It's not from our normal customs or our normal culture. Instead of this love that the Father has given to us is out of this world. It cannot be compared to anything else on this earth. So John says, simply stated here, see what kind or see how great this Father's love is for us. But it's not even from here. But it can't be, it's not an example from like, hey, God is loving us like Brazilians love. Brazilians are known to be a, a country, a, a, a people that are a loving people. We used to have a student in our student ministry who was from Brazil, and as he was going back to uh, to his uh, city in Brazil, I asked him 
uh, you know, who is it that you've, you've missed the most and who do you want to see uh, the soonest as you get back? And he mentioned his mom, his dad, and his girlfriend. And uh, this, this student was 18, and I said, do you think to this girlfriend that you, that you have, do you love her? Uh, will you uh, extend your hand in marriage to her? Uh, will you, uh, you know, will, you, uh, will this relationship last longer? And he says, well, I don't understand what you mean by if I love her. Well, you know, do you love her? And he said, of course I love her. I'm Brazilian. We love everyone. Okay, I understand what you're saying, but do you have like a, a you know, like a, a spouse type love, an agape type love, a love that you're going to extend to her that says, I want to be your husband forever, uh, or as long as forever is on this earth. And so he was a little bit confused by that because for him, to be Brazilian means to love others. Well, well, we're not talking about the Father's love in this way. We're not saying that he just has a Brazilian type of love for us, that he loves everyone the same. And so John is trying to point out to us that this love that the Father has for us is out of this world. It can't be compared to anyone else upon this earth. And for that very reason is why he sent his Son to come and demonstrate his love for us. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5 that Jesus is the one that demonstrates this love of the Father. That he comes and while we were still sinners, weak with sin, you know, uh, fully engulfed in it, Jesus comes and rescues us from that, demonstrating the Father's love, that it's not from this world, it's outside of this world, and so this perfect God, who perfectly loves, sent his perfect Son to sacrifice for us, to suffer for us, so that we can know the Father's love for us. And so we as believers, if you are one this morning, you have to daily be in uh, wrapping your minds around this. Lord, help my mind to grow, help my knowledge to grow, help my soul to grow, my heart to grow, in an understanding of the love that you have for us, or have for me particularly. Let me stop. Let me put into action here what John is saying. Let me see this. Let me stop. Let me pause for a moment and see the love that you, God, my Father, that you have for me, that this love that you have is not just something that you do. It's not just your action, but in reality, it's who you are. It's, it's how you're defined. It's who, it's who your character is, that you are you are a God of love. And I know many of us know that. You've been in church for, for long enough that you have an understanding of it. Uh, can I remind you that John is writing to the same type of folk? People who knew Jesus' love for them, and yet John is writing to them, pause, take a moment, and see the, the love that the Father has for you. So I don't care how old you are, how long you've been walking with the Lord, uh, my thought is this, that you need it every, a moment in every day of your life that you stop and you see the Father's love for you. And I hope that by the end of today, by the end of our time together today, that you're thinking about the Father's love and that He has adopted you into His family. That He's given you a name, an inheritance. He's completely removed your sin from you so that you can have access to the Father. That He's no longer the judge, but instead He's a Father to your life. And no matter what has happened in your life in the past, no matter how good or bad your dad was, no matter how many daddy issues you have, you have an earthly I mean, Heavenly Father who sent His Son on this earth to demonstrate His love for you so that you can have so that you can have right relationship with Him. And so John goes on to say, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. He points out here uh, this, this great word, this great Abba word that we can use. You know, in the Old Testament, this word Abba, or word Father, was only used 15 times. And it was not used in an intimate type, personal way. It was more like, hey, you need to, need to be uh, mindful and revering this Father, uh, Yahweh, that we have. And then we get into the New Covenant, into the New Testament, and we see over 165 times this word Abba, Father, is used. 
particularly about a personal, intimate relationship that we can have with the living God. I mean, Jesus demonstrates this, d- demonstrates this perfectly for us, that we can, call the, we can call God the living God, creator God. We can call him Abba or Daddy or Father, that we have this relationship because of the Son. The author of Hebrews tells us that because of the Son, we can have access to the Father and we can enter into his presence with frankness or boldness. With confidence, we can enter into the Father's presence. No longer looking at him as the judge, but instead understanding that with, with reverence and fear, he is our Heavenly Father, that we get to walk into His presence because of what the Son has done for us. We get to walk into our Daddy, our, our Heavenly Daddy's presence with His arms open. He's going, to, he's going to accept us and love us. I mean, what a good picture, I think, for us to understand this. When John is saying, see what kind of love the Father has for us. He doesn't just say, see what kind of love the judge has for us. So when we talk about doctrines, when we talk about doctrine of adoption, we must first talk a little bit about the doctrine of justification, about the good news that we have been rescued from our sins, uh, that um, that in a sense that it's our life because of what Jesus has done. We've been justified just as if I'd never sinned. Uh, Christ replaces our life with his life. Uh, We've been transformed in his, his likeness. And so because of that, because we've been justified through the sacrifice of Jesus, we can have access to the Father. Our sins have been removed. The doctrine of justification says we are right before God the judge. God the judge standing in his courtroom because of what the son has done. The son makes us right and the just judge judges us according to the son. And so because of the son's sacrifice, because of his blood shed for us, we get to have right relationship with the father. And so we are justified with the judge. Now, incredibly, this work could have ended right there. The judge has freed us from our sin. He's justified us. He says in the doctrine of justification that no longer are we filled with sin, but instead we're filled with the sun. I'm going to have to sit down, and I'm sorry. There's no place to sit. I'm going to need a stool or something so I don't pass out. It's one of those days. Here, I'll I'll just kneel on it here. So we're justified through the Father, through the Son. We have access to the Father through the Son. J.I. Packer says this, The justification by which we mean God's forgiveness of the past, together with his acceptance for the future, is the primary and fundamental blessing of the gospel. It's not in question. Justification is the primary blessing because it meets our primary spiritual need. So because of what the Son has done, if I just fall over, just pray and end, okay? Because of what the Son has done, we are justified in Christ. And yet the judge says, the judge says, no longer do you have to call me judge, but instead you can call me father. You can call me father. Like, this is huge. How many of you have ever been to a courtroom? Can you imagine the judge freeing you from your from your you know, felonies or freeing you from all the things that you've done wrong, freeing you from that, taking your conviction away, pounding his hammer on the table, on his desk, and saying, you are justified. You're free to go. And you say, thank you, judge. And the judge says, no, you don't have to call me judge. You can call me father. The relationship has completely changed. All because, for us, all because of what the Son has done. So John is reminding us, see, stop, pause, look at the Father's love for us. 
that no longer do we have to call him the judge, but instead now we can call him, we can call him the father. So technically God could have just stopped. He could have stopped at justification. But instead he continues with, he continues with adoption. He continues with the, this uh, doctrine of adoption that we can we can now no longer just call him judge, but we can. And here's here's just a little side note. You don't even know. For 16 years, I preached from a stool to students, and it was really good. And so you're about to get a really good message now. <laughs> this this process that happens should change our every should change our everyday life. J.I. Packer goes on to say. So, so yes, we need forgiveness of our sins and assurance of a restored relationship with God. This is the doctrine of justification. More than anything we need, more than anything else in the world, we need this. We need freedom and justification from our sins. And this is the gospel. The gospel offers us, this is what the gospel offers us before anything else. That we can stand before the judge knowing that the Son has justified us through his sacrifice. And yet God doesn't stop there. Instead, he opens up the relationship. And now we can call him Father because of his adopted, because of, uh, because of what his son has done for us. So go on, thanks, Dre. Go on to, uh, to what it continues to say. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. Do you know anything about adoption? When you think about adoption, the one that's being adopted really has no part in the adoption process other than being in need of rescuing. I mean, the one that's being adopted really has no say in particular about it, uh, you know, concerning a certain age. Uh, you know, they really have no part in the adoption process. It's the one that's adopting and the judge who has all the say. And so, uh, so, so we see that the Father is the one that's giving us this love. Not because we're earning it, and not even because we really deserve it or are worthy of it, but instead because he sees our lowly estate, he sees our need as orphans, he sees our need of being rescued, and because of that, because of that, he sends his son to rescue us. Galatians chapter 4 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his, has sent his spirit of the son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but now you are a son. And if a son, then you become an heir through God. And so no longer are we a slave to God, nor are we a slave to sin. But now we become a son, a son of righteousness or a daughter of righteousness, all because of what Christ has done for us. So the doctrine of, the doctrine of adoption basically says this. It is the gracious act of God in which he confers upon sinners the position of sons and daughters and then the privilege of sons of sonship see what kind of love the father has given to us he has given us this adoption so how does adoption work i mean if we were if we are to call god father what must take place what happened what did galatians chapter 4 tell us well adoption requires someone to come at just the right time we don't wait till uh, you know until there's. Uh, we're not necessarily being reactive, maybe, but we're being proactive. And Jesus comes just at the right time. He fulfills this for us. 
that he came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So what happened was uh, Jesus had to come just at the right time, fulfilling prophecy. He also had to have the right qualifications. If you've been a part of an earthly adoption, you know all about this. You know about the qualifications that have to happen. You know about the home studies that have to happen. You know about the questioning from, uh, from state or whatever adoption agency uh, you're adopting through. You know about all these things and you have to a- answer these questions. And then you might even get a little nervous. You know, like, am I going to answer correctly? How often do you put kids in a dog kennel? Oh, don't ask me that. That's a difficult question. <laughs> I try never to do that. But there are these times in life where you fail to meet the qualifications. We're not going to allow you to, to adopt kids. So Jesus had to have, he had to come at the right time, and he had to come with the right qualifications. And in his case, to save us from our sin, to justify us, to rescue us, to adopt us into God's family, he had to be fully divine, fully human, and fully righteous. And so he was. This perfect son comes with all the qualifications, and he came to adopt us, meeting all qualifications, so that he would be the one that actually could do this. And then the last thing about adoption is you have to have the intention to adopt. You can't just not think about it. It has to be something that you've planned in, in, the, you know, in the past, something that you've put together in the past. Ephesians 1 tells us all about this, that Jesus did this, that it was predestined that he would come into this world and adopt us as sons and daughters into his family. That it was set forth that God had this intention to come and rescue us. He didn't just wake up one day, number one, God doesn't sleep, but he didn't just wake up one day saying, you know what, today I think I'll, I'll just adopt for the fun of it. It doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen supernaturally or heavenly or eternally, and it doesn't even happen earthly. You don't just wake up one day and say, you know what, today... What are we going to do today? We're going to save the world. We're going to take it over. We're going to adopt today. Okay, well, get started and do that adopting process. It's more, it's more than just that. And so then once we are adopted into God's family, then we can call God Father. It's awkward before. I know some of us that are foster before, there's a little bit of awkwardness. You know, when the child comes to our house first, and uh, you know, it's the first day, uh, you want to introduce yourself as Matt, but you also want to introduce yourself as, hey, I'm your foster dad, or I'm your foster father, or I'm your daddy, or whatever you want to say. You want to say those, those things, but you also know that relationship has to be, has to be built. And so pre-justification, pre-salvation, we look at God as the judge. Once we have confessed Christ as Lord and Savior, once we have been saved, once we have been justified through the completed work of Jesus, then we move from God being, yes, he is a just judge and a righteous judge. We move from him just being our judge to now he is our Father because of what Christ has done. Our Heavenly Father, through the love that he lavishes on us, he loves us, he cares for us, he provides for us, he understands us, he forgives us, he disciplines us, he leads us. So we move in relationship. Not just this judgment, judging God, but we move from that, knowing that our sins have been forgiven through Jesus into this intimate, personal relationship with the Heavenly Father. And that within that Heavenly Father relationship, I'll read this again, in that relationship with the Father, He lavishes upon us, or He pours over us, or He showers over us His love for us, His care for us, He provides for us, He understands us, He forgives us, He disciplines us, He leads us. 
when we take that oath of adoption in an earthly standpoint, when we take that oath, uh, that oath of adoption, we're saying the same things. I promise to love you and care for you and provide for you and understand you and forgive you and discipline you and lead you in the way that you should go. And this is what our Heavenly Father does for us. It's not a one and done type of thing. Yes, I've been ju justified in Christ and I praise Jesus for that. But my relationship with God the Father has changed. It's not just God the judge anymore. Now it's God the Father. And as a father, what is he doing with me? What is he, how is he loving me? How is he lavishing this love upon me? How am I a child of his? He's doing these things. One more time. He loves us. He cares for us. He provides for us. He understands us. He forgives us. He disciplines us. And he leads us. This is the kind of, this is the kind of relationship you should be having right now with God the Father. If you only look at God the judge, then I would say take a moment this morning before you leave this building and understand why you see him as just and only a judge of your life. Have you not been forgiven of your sins? Have you not confessed Christ as Lord of your life? Has, has the work of Christ not been enough for you that you would recognize that you have now, through your confession of Christ and your obedience to him, have now been adopted into his family and now our Heavenly Father desires much more, much more of your life than just Him judging you. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. So in this adopted relationship, we move from just being these sinners who need to be judged to instead sinners who have been judged through the lens of Jesus, now adopted into the family of God, and now we are kids belonging to our heavenly king. We are kids now having an inheritance, kids now having a name, kids now having a father that surpasses all fathers, no matter how good or bad they are. We have a father who says, I don't want you just to be a slave or a servant to me, but instead I want you to understand that you are a son, you are a daughter of mine. And as his children, we have these things. We have a new name, a new spirit. We have access to the Father. We are also, Jesus calls us in John 15, we are friends with the Father. We have an inheritance. Though before we didn't have one, now we have one. We have, and here's, here's for me, this is the greatest things. We have an, uh, an eternal father. We have an eternal family. We have brothers and sisters in Christ, people to walk through life together, and we have an eternal home. Most of us are, are longing for and doing our best to keep the homes that we have here, but if our understanding of Christ is correct in what he's done, and our understanding of our Heavenly Father is correct in what he, correct in what he has done and is doing, then we understand that this place is not our home, but instead he is providing for us an eternal home. And with that, our daily lives should change. See what kind of love the Father has for us. That he's given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Maybe you're familiar with John Wesley, and I know, I know we're Southern Baptists, and sometimes when we mention uh, you know, folks from other denominations, it's like, oh, I'm not fighting words, uh, but I've been fighting for a while now, and so, uh, so let's just do this. But John Wesley, uh, you know, he was um, this great uh, preacher and missionary who went, who went to save the world, and particularly he left England uh, to come and save America. And after traveling through and doing many, many great works here uh, and all over the world, he wrote in his journal when he went back to England. He wrote these words, and I'm going to read them slowly, and I may read them several times. John Wesley wrote this, I who went to America to convert others was never myself 
converted to God. I had even then the faith of a servant, though not that of a son. John Wesley, who came to save, who did many, many wonderful works, and still today has left an incredible legacy to follow. He wrote this, these words, I who went to America to convert others was never myself converted to God. I had even the faith of a servant, though not that of a son. You can continue on in the slavery that you think that, you that you're worthy of being in. You can continue on saying, you know what, at least... At least at the end of the day, I can say, well, I, I did my best to, to serve the Lord as, as his servant. And we should serve him. But not as a master who's lording over his slaves with a whip. But instead, recognizing that he is our heavenly father who lavishes his love upon us. And out of his love for us, we are obedient to this great heavenly father. My desire for you this morning would be that you would not leave for this morning not understanding that you can be, through what Christ has done, a son or daughter of Jesus. And you can walk and rest in freedom from slavery. Slavery to sin, but also slavery to self, slavery to your own worth, or whatever the case may be. And instead, walk in the adoption, the freedom that Christ has done. But I'll tell you this, I've seen this firsthand. Uh, there's a great fight that happens with adoption, and I'm talking about earthly adoption. There's this great fight that goes on. There's this great fight, and here's, here's several of them. One of them is this. But I want to know where I came from. You have folks who have been adopted many, many years ago, or even just a few years ago. They want to know about their past. They want to know about where they came from. And so they begin digging back and they begin holding on to the past. And the adoption that we're talking about, the doctrine of adoption that we're talking about with Jesus, he says, forget the past. I have forgotten it. He says, let go of it. I have forgiven it. I've washed it away. You are justified with the Father and the Judge. And so with that, stop digging around in the biological past, trying to figure out who you are, but instead recognize your identity in Christ. And I've told the story before, but I remember a 16-year-old girl at Super Summer uh, talking about how, yeah, her, her adopted parents were great, but she really wanted to know her biological parents. She really wanted to know. And in her research of that, she found her biological mom. And she'd been going around her adopted parents' back trying to figure out her, her past, trying to figure out a lot of unanswered questions. And I understand that. Like, I don't like undone things. I don't like unsettledness. Like, I want to figure out things. I want to bring a closure to things and a settlement to things. I want to do those things. But as one who has been adopted by Christ, it is not my responsibility to dig in the past and see where I went wrong or see what I could fix, or see what I could change, or see if I could go back and, and prevent these things from happening. Instead, it's to look at the glory of what the Father has done for us, that he's lavished his love upon us, that we might become sons and daughters of him, that we might have an inheritance. Another adoption fight that happens is I'm not worthy of being adopted. Look at all the baggage I have. We see this firsthand a lot. We understand the, the baggage that comes with an orphan. The daddy issues, the mama issues, the family issues, the, uh, the neurological issues, the drug and the alcohol abuse. We see all these things, these things that, that, that the abandonment 
issues that, that will surface at some point. And with that, that, that orphan feels as if they're not worthy of being adopted. And we, we play this into our relationship with the Father. Like, I see what you've done for me, and I appreciate it, God, that you've sent your son for me. But at the same time, if you only knew how terrible I am, if you only knew all the baggage that I have, and the crazy thing about what the Father has done for us is he does know. He knows everything. Your entire past. And incredibly, he knows your entire future. And with that, he says, you are worthy of my love. I don't understand it, standing here or sitting here looking at you. I'm not judging you, but I don't understand it. But he does. He looks at us and says, you're worthy. You're worthy of my love. You're worthy of me adopting you. You're worthy of me rescuing you, despite how much baggage you have. <clears throat> Another thing that I see adoption fight a lot is, um, will this new family be better? Is this really a better situation for me? You know, should I just go back to the past? The Israelites experienced this in Numbers chapter 21. Oh, that you brought us out into the desert just to die? Wouldn't it be better for us just to stay in slavery? We see that. We see that in our world today, even with adopted. You know, the fight goes on. The discipline happens. The providing happens. It's not happening as, as we think it should. And so the, the one who's been adopted says, I kind of feel like it would have been better if I would just stay with my, my previous situation. Just leave me in the orphanage. Keep me in slavery. But that's not what the Father has done for us. It's not what He desires for us. He desires for us to be a part of His family. That's why He gives us a new name and a new inheritance so that we can be a part of what He has for us. And the big picture so that we can be a part of what He has for us for eternity, not just for, not just for a moment. And then, maybe this is um, like the hardest of it all, uh, is the daddy issues. You know, my earthly dad was bad. Will my, will my heavenly father be the same way? Like my, my earthly dad tra- treated me this way, or even my mom treated me this way, and they abandoned me. Will my heavenly father do the same thing? So we begin having those doubts. Lord, I know you say you'll never leave me or forsake me, but do you see the world I'm from? Everyone has. And so... So if, I, if these are the examples I'm looking at, can I trust in you as my Heavenly Father? And that's where we have to look at truth constantly. Meditate on God's Word. Constantly look back to Romans 5.8 saying, At just the right time, the Father sent His Son to us. He sent His Son to us to rescue us. Fully qualified, with all intention to save us and rescue us. To adopt us into his, to adopt us into his family, and so he does. And this doctrine of, of adoption is not something that we should neglect ever, but instead it's something that we walk in daily. We probably talk way too much about it in our house, and our and our adopted children know way too much about it, and some find that awkward. Your kids know that they were adopted. I want them to know, and here's why I want them to know, because it is the gospel. And if they know the gospel, then they have a heavenly father forever. If they know the gospel, if they know the good news of someone standing in a courtroom saying, when no one else, when no one else wanted you, one person, at least one person did. And when the judge looks around in the, in the, in the courtroom and says, 
So there's no biological parents that want them. There's no grandparents. There's no aunts. There's no uncles. There's no one. Then two people can stand up and say, we want that child. And that is exactly what Jesus has done for us. When no one else wanted you, just at the right time, when everyone else judges you, looks at your sin and says, this is how you should be defined. The father stands up and says, who will, who will, who will rescue this, these orphans? Who will bring them back out of slavery? Who will stand up? And the world says, not me. It's too much. Look at the baggage. There's too much there. Jesus has stood up and said, I will rescue them. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, not defined by our sin, and blameless, not defined by our faults before him. And in love, he predestined us for, adopt, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. And in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the richness or the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. He showered his grace and is showering his grace upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ Jesus. According to his will. I mean, I, I can only imagine, if, if just in our simple earthly adoption, and I know Amy can relate to this too, in our simply earthly adoption, the amount of questions that you get. The amount of questions that you get. Hey, we're going to adopt. Why? Can you not have kids of your own? Is something wrong? What, what, what not having your own biological kids is not, it's not good enough? Like, why would you do that? How could you do that? I mean, do you know what's going to happen? Do you know what's going to happen if, if you adopt? Do you know these things? I can only imagine the same kind of questions happening before the Father. Are you sure about this, God? Do you know how much it's going to cost you? Do you know how much it's going to cost you to go and rescue these orphans? Do you know how much it's going to cost you to rescue these people? Wouldn't it just be easier to wipe them all off and just start over with your own biological perfect kids? But no, the gospel says this, the good news says this, that just at the right time in our weakness, God didn't just demolish us and send his wrath upon us, but instead he sent his son to save us. J.I. Packer says this to finish his statement. He says, But this is not to say that justification is the highest blessing of the gospel. Adoption is higher because of the richer relationship with God that it involves. So what is a Christian? The richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as Father. Christian this morning, don't just look at God as the judge. Yes, revere him, respect him, understand that he will judge your sins, and that hopefully this morning you are in Christ, and your sins will be judged according to Christ and not yourself. The richest answer I know, J.I. Packer goes on to say, is that a Christian is one who has God as Father. And if you want to know how well a person understands Christianity, 
find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If there is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and his prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. And my hope is this. My hope is this, that you would understand the love that the Father desires to lavish upon you, to shower you with, that you would at least, maybe a long-term saint here this morning, but you would at least pause and see what kind of love the Father has for us, that he has given to us. Not that we have earned it, or we could ever earn it, but instead, he simply pours it out upon us, that we should be called his children, that we should be called his children. Here's what, I, here's what I really feel like um, most of us do. Like we have a, a good understanding of, of this adoption. I'm hoping you have a better understanding of now what, what the Father has done or is doing for you in the completed work. <clears throat> and that this love that the Father has for us as he's adopting us as sons and daughters into his family to give us an inheritance, to give us a name, all those things. We, we so deal with daily self that we neglect to see this love that the Father has lavished upon us, that he's desiring to give to us. And so what we try and do is we try and cover ourselves, we try and cover ourselves up. We, we take that adoption fight seriously. I'm not worthy of this. I'm, I'm too much, there's too much of me. I remember Ree saying uh, when Emma came to our house, I thought she was going to be trained. And we think the same thing about ourselves. Like the Father would love us even more if we were already trained. You know what I'm saying? Like if we didn't have mud and grime and dirt and sin on us, then we could be accepting of the Father's love for us. And so I think, and I'm just going to use a real simple illustration, but I think what happens is, and I already have bad luck, so, um, so I'm just going to continue with my, my bad luck here. Um, but we, um, we, we understand and we put the umbrella on, <coughs> and we stand here under the umbrella, and we see the Father's love flowing off the umbrella, but we're afraid for it to touch us, because we, we see this holy and righteous God, this pure God, and we're so afraid that the sin that we have is going to make him unholy and impure that we're going to mess up the Father. Like it's going to be our fault. When he wants to adopt me. He wants to adopt me. But if I come into his family, if I come into his family, his family is going to be garbage now. I'm going to come and ruin everything. And so we stand on the umbrella. And I don't know what symbolically the umbrella is for you. We stand here and we do our best to cleanse ourselves. And at some point when we feel comfortable enough, we just stick a hand out and say, okay, I'm going to let the Father's love just touch my hand and lavish and clean off my dirty hand or whatever the case may be. All while the Father is still showering his love down upon us, but not fully accepting of what he's done for us. And I think this is, for me, this is where John Wesley is. And I'm going to walk around as a servant just like this. And I'm going to serve others. And I'm going to give a good picture of what service to God's kingdom looks like but never fully experiencing the love the Father has for me. I think the work of Christ is simply this, 
that we would, in obedience and in your confession of Christ as Lord, allow God's love not just to shower and hit the umbrella, but to move the umbrella, drop it, to drop the umbrella, find your identity in Christ, and let the Father's love completely be lavished upon you. Understanding that your identity is no longer hidden under an umbrella of what you think your life should be like, or your past, or how unworthy you are to be adopted into God's family, but instead recognizing that you as a sinner in the judge's courtroom, being justified through the Son, when no one else, when no one else would stand up and say, I want that child. God said, I want to send my son and sacrifice. I know the cost. I know the cost. And I'm going to send my son anyways. So that he can rescue you. So that your entire life can be, be changed and transformed into my son's likeness. We pray for you. Lord Jesus, I know for myself, for many in this room, I don't want it just to be an experience necessarily, their feelings, but instead reality and truth, our decisions wrapped up in that, that we might be obedient to you and to you alone. But I do pray that this morning of those wrestling with, with you who have already been forgiven of their sins through Jesus and are justified, now that they can move from a relationship of just seeing you or only seeing you as a judge, but now understanding that you're their father and that you have so much more for their life than just them being fearful of the next mistake they might make. God, thank you just for myself, selfishly. <laughs> but despite who I am, your word says you lavish your love upon us, upon me. And the kind of love that you have is outside of this world, that you're giving to us. Not that we are earning, but you're giving to us. Makes us your sons and daughters makes us your children. So God, help us this morning to rise in that, to stand in that, to be confident in that. Is your word that we just read, but let your spirit be the assurance of that. God, I do pray this morning that if there are those this morning who are still standing under an umbrella, just doing their best to work and serve and have a false hope of what salvation is, or you know, they would be recognizing that they are your sons and daughters in Christ. God, those who, are, who have not confessed Christ as Lord and are still standing in their sin, I let them be convicted from your Holy Spirit that they might confess Christ as Lord this morning and so be saved from their sin. God, help us to respond to you in obedience as our rescuer, as the ones who sees orphans in need of rescue, and you come and you rescue us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, this morning, Zach.